Old Man Winter here. If I had it my way, it would stay winter all year long. Short days, wind chill, black ice and a good polar vortex. Oh, <laughs> heaven. Wait, is it getting warm in here? Your cold snap is over, Old Man Winter. Spring has arrived. Spring. Spring is here, which means it's the perfect time to get away in the Hyundai you've always wanted. Visit the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event, where you can get great deals on all of our award-winning Hyundai models, like the tech-filled Tucson and Kona, as well as the spacious Palisade. Enjoy wherever you go with the peace of mind that comes with America's best warranty and three years or 36,000 miles of complimentary maintenance. But hurry in. These deals won't last. Add more joy to your journey at the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event. Now get 0% APR or up to 1,500 bonus cash on the Hyundai Tucson. Now, during the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event. Offers end soon. Call 562-314-4603 for details. What's going on, everybody? Thanks for tuning in to another episode of the Just a Set Conversation. Jared Sandler welcoming you in if you're here for the first time. If you're back for more, appreciate the loyalty. Here, we're going to chat with Travis Heim for episode 69. Travis, of course, of Heim Barbecue. They just opened another location in Dallas uh, starting, well, I guess not really starting in Fort Worth, starting well before that, but the first real storefront in Fort Worth. And uh, Travis is one of the best pit masters in the country. Again, the man behind the legendary Heim Barbecue along with his better half, Emma, and had a great chance to chat with Travis about uh, his love for food, how that all developed, uh, the first steps towards Heim Barbecue, uh, taking some big risks and more. Really uh, hope you get a chance to hear Travis talk about his journey. As always, would really appreciate if you consider subscribing or liking or maybe even just taking the link and sharing it with some friends uh, it all would be much appreciated alas here it is episode 69 of the just a set conversation with travis Hine. all right travis so i think i i read that uh, perhaps uh mom and grandmother were pretty influential in helping you develop maybe a, a love or a passion for food what more can you share about how food became more than just something you you put in your body to give you fuel, but but something that was even even before it became your your profession and your calling, just something that you knew you had maybe a greater interest in than the average person? Yeah, I uh, I guess that wasn't something I realized until you know later in life, and uh, specifically like going over to friends' houses, you know, or stuff, and. and trying you know their parents food and it's like wow this this kind of sucks <laughs> you know <it's> like, <laughs> uh, my mom was was a really great cook and my grandmother and even my great grandmother would would bake and you know they have all these recipes and stuff where it's like for biscuits it's a two handfuls of this one handful of this you know type of thing and just really uh you know kind of talented um you know, home cooks. And so it was, I grew up around it and I didn't really think that much about it and kind of similar to, to barbecue. But, um, yeah, once, once you, you get older and then now with what we do and uh, our restaurants and everything, you see like there's so much technique and all of this stuff that my mother and my grandmother didn't even know that they were doing, but it's just, you know, family recipes that have been 
passed down and stuff. So I've I've been very blessed with with that for sure. What were your other interests growing up? What if you think back in your childhood? What are the things that maybe stand out most to you about interests, hobbies, uh, personality? You know, whatever it might be. Yeah, I was um, I was mainly interested in sports. I guess like a lot of kids, <laughs> so I played uh, pretty much every every sport there was, and um, you know, really cooking and specifically cooking barbecue wasn't a huge deal for me until kind of high school. I think the first brisket I ever cooked, I was like 12. Um, and it was kind of just wanting to emulate my grandfather because he would cook a lot of barbecue. And so my, my main interests were, you know, sports and music and, you know, girls. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> That was probably it. Okay. So when you, I guess you're, 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 that you you know you talked about familiarizing yourself with with food and maybe without even realizing it developing a, an interest. When did barbecue come into the picture? What when when did that become maybe something that was of more interest to you than than other uh, other cuisines and, and other culinary tastes? Yeah, I think I, you know, you just I guess I'm from Fort Worth, Texas. You know, born and raised. Obviously, we still live here now, and I was just around it a lot, you know, and we would always go to the, you know, Angelo's and Railhead, the the old school places, and um, just kind of grew up with that, and then my grandfather um, would cook ribs all the time and cook different stuff, and then my father's um, family, he was from Marshall, Texas, and East Texas, and um my my uncle would build smokers and you know this they have this whole history of of cooking barbecue and all this stuff and so not professionally but it just i think it, again it was one of those things where i was just around it so much that i didn't really you know pick up on it until later but around the time i was 12 13 i started cooking really just because i was like wanted to emulate my granddad and you know thought he was cool and anytime we had a family uh, get together or something. He would cook ribs or, you know, something on the smoker. And um, so that was kind of how it started. And then my mother had a um, small catering business just for, you know, a handful of clients kind of on, on the west side of Fort Worth. And so too, in high school, college, you know, she would, I would help her as much as I could. So she would, you know, do a smoked tenderloin or, you know, different stuff. And, uh, kind of helped her with that and got more interested in, you know, the science of everything and how smoking works. And this was before barbecue was popular, <laughs> you know, it was another thing. It's like I, I was just a nerd who thought it was cool and trying out different stuff and making notes of all my cooks. And, um, you know, once we got into, uh, you know, college age, then my buddies and I would save up money for, rack of ribs or you know brisket or something and a 30 pack of beer on the weekend <laughs> you know kind of do that and, and it just kind of snowballed from there into uh, you know an obsession i guess of sorts and and to around that kind of college age i guess geez this is when did i graduate this is like you know 13 years ago or something um was sort of this boom of 
a lot of new um, guys like Aaron Franklin and Austin and guys that were doing barbecue that I knew and loved and grew up with, but, you know, we're doing these new techniques and this new stuff. And so then it kind of hit right in stride with um, what I was, you know, interested in. And, and then that just snowballed into, you know, trying to test out different recipes, do all this stuff and, you know, whatever. So I feel like I got the bug early, you know, and then it just kind of built from there. <laughs> just curious, when you left for college, did you leave with an idea of like, I want to be this, like I want to go to college so I can do this, not necessarily what you're doing now, but you know, business or politics or whatever. Like, did you have a, a specific goal or target when you left for college? Man, that's a great question. Um, so n- not really. Um, I played baseball in high school and football and other stuff, but I was probably the best at baseball, which isn't saying much. And uh, we we went to uh, my wife and I now went to school uh, UT Tyler in East Texas, the Division Three, and they didn't give scholarships, but it was like you could walk on and try that. So that was sort of my goal was like maybe try to do baseball something um, in that capacity. But the day after. I graduated high school. Uh, I, went, I moved to uh, Nairobi, Kenya, and did uh, a, about a three-month missionary um, type thing there. And uh, over that summer, I lost about 40 pounds. I was I was like a good 160, you know, muscle, and lost about 40 pounds. Oh wow! Um, so yeah, I couldn't hit a ball out of the infield when I got back. So then, <laughs> at that point, it was kind of like, well, I guess uh, you know, I'll try. Or something else, but you know. What was that? Okay, so I had no idea about the the Kenya stuff. Oh, I mean, it, it's not often uh, you get to just uh, go to Africa and, and and go to Kenya, and maybe you'll never go back there again. You know, I don't know. Uh, even if you enjoyed it, you know, it's just it's it's tough to to get to those places. What what were some of your takeaways from your time in Kenya? Man, um, great question. I. I you know, it, it was uh, a life-changing experience, you know, in, in a million different ways. And, and too, I, you know, I literally, I graduated high school, and then the next morning was on a plane because I was already late to the whatever orientation thing, and then went over. And so we had a, a small group of um, a guy from University of Florida that had been there a couple times, and um, we worked with a, a church in uh, Kibera, which at the time was the second largest slum in uh, Africa. And it was about, it was basically like three big hills, uh, a, a square mile. And there was, I think, a million, a little over a million people living in uh, in this area. And so it was just, you know, as terrible as you could imagine. Uh, but we, we went there and they kind of helped rebuild um these classrooms that they had at the church and, and the school. There's some AIDS uh, outreach that they did, and they'd have groups of doctors that would come in. So we'd basically facilitate them from, you know, arriving to, uh, you know, working and everything and make sure nothing bad happened, which is a completely idiotic that an 18-year-old is like, you know, hey, welcome to Kenya. I've been here a week, and uh, let me show you around, you know, type of thing. But 
it was really life changing. And when I got back, you know, it was kind of a lot of culture shock. And I think too, at that point, if I had anything in mind for a career, it was to be a, a pastor or a preacher, you know, kind of do something like that in some way. And, um, you know, really gave me a, a lot of perspective just on, on life in general. And, uh, one of my favorite memories was, it was July 4th when we were there and we, um, had some group, I think from like Tennessee and we got a little tiny charcoal grill and where we were staying was at a monastery with all these Kenyan nuns who were hilarious. And, uh, we cooked burgers for everybody. And so we had this little, just piece of crap charcoal grill and you know we're cooking burgers for like 50 people and they had they didn't understand what we were doing or anything but it was uh it was a lot of fun all right so i, I want to go back to the barbecue journey obviously really if you you want the true origin story i guess it, it starts with some of the stuff we talked about and and you know being in the kitchen at a young age but when was the mm-hmm. first step that you recall uh that like was actually a move, whether you realize it or not, but a move towards what you're doing now. Like what, what was that, that first actual, uh, whether it was a, a, a job or a, a gig or just, you know, maybe it was with your buddies and, and, and saving up that money and, and preparing the food, but what would you kind of identify as that first step? Yeah. When the, the I guess the thing that I, I most remember was, you know, I cooked barbecue for, family and everything to the point of like everyone's like we don't need barbecue again you know what I mean like let's order pizza or something we don't like you don't always have to cook ribs or or whatever for an event so at this point uh we had been married just a little bit and my in-laws bought me a little smoky mountain like Weber uh, little smoker and um it was the first kind of real smoker I guess I had and there's these um lunches at the church that um, we were going to and they uh, nobody would go because they were terrible you know it's like uh you know tuna salad sandwiches or whatever and uh the lady that did them i was like hey do you mind if i you know bring a brisket or something and she was ecstatic about it and so i, I think i cooked like two briskets and brought uh brought them up to the steel and and this old guy uh, at the church came up to me after and was like who cooked those briskets? Did you cook that? And I was like, uh, yes, sir. Like, is everything okay? He's like, that's the best brisket I ever had. And so it was this <laughs> weird moment of like, uh, the first time someone outside of my family, you know, like was like, Hey, this is really good. And, you know, I, I like, you know, kind of affirm that. And so I was like, Oh, my family's not just lying to me. You know, I'm, I guess I'm, actually decent at this so that that really kind of lit a spark and we did that you know a few times and then that sort of started a, our pop-up dinners which weren't really even a pop-up you know back then but we basically uh, i got a smoker from my uncle in east texas and uh, we just throw a big party and we called it t&e meat club and it was like supposed to be this underground you know barbecue thing you got to know somebody to, to come type of deal and um, we'd have somebody playing a guitar, we'd have, you know, cold beer and, you know, just throw 20 bucks in a hat or whatever and we'll, you know, figure it out. And um, So that was kind of the first, I guess, commercial sort of thing of of uh, of that, but it was definitely sparked by 
you know, other, other folks trying my food. And I was like, Oh, this is, this is great. I like this. You know? <laughs> so, okay. I, I, I want to know more about T and E meat club, uh, because I, <laughs> I, I read about T and E meat club, uh, and yeah. I, I promise people, this is actually, I mean, it, it could maybe come off as an innuendo. This is actually a, 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 a food, uh, a, a food right. <laughs> experience, yeah. no, nothing else. But but what can you share with me about T and E Meat Club? Yeah, it's good to uh, to give it that disclaimer for sure. <laughs> uh, so we uh, it kind of started off of that, and uh, you know, just this idea of I I got a smoker from my uncle uh, Roger, who was uh, in in Marshall, Texas, and and he was a, a welder, uh, but he was also like a better beer drinker, you know, that kind of guy. And so I was trying to get a hold of him for maybe six months. And he had these uh, awesome smokers, you know, now that people would spend, you know, 10, 20 grand to, to buy, he, you know, would just weld them, just him and his buddies. And they had these on, on trailers. And so he had one that I knew was sitting around and, um, uh, you know, I finally got a hold of him and I was like, I have $300 to my name, <laughs> but I was like, I will give you $300 and then do a payment plan or what I, you know, that just, if there's any way I could get this smoker, you know, I'd love to, uh, you know, to figure out a way to make this, this was like seven or eight years ago, I guess. And, uh, he just said, he just said, come pick it up. And so we had a 99 Honda Civic <laughs> at the time. So my wife and I rented a U-Haul truck and a trailer and somehow drug this thing out of the mud and, and brought it back to uh, my brother-in-law's house. And it was this massive, you know, it's not as big as the smokers we have now for the restaurant, but just way too big for a family to cook on. And uh, so it's like, you know, how can I, how can I use this and, you know, get better and try new stuff without just, you know, spending a fortune and wood and everything else. And so it was kind of all of those things together of like, let's just throw a party and we'll see if anybody shows up. And, uh, you know, it, it sort of started from that. And so we called it meat club and it was real sort of family and friends and stuff and, and real low key. And then we did a couple and then we did like, um, a ticketed thing and then so it became like okay we're gonna have 30 people you know let's sell tickets and uh, then we can use that money for food and for you know beer and everything else and so we would I would work I was working security at the time in uh, Fort Worth and uh, for an oil company and just absolutely miserable and so I'd work like you know 40 50 hours a week well, when you, you say know, security, Travis, are you talking like, you know, you're standing big and strong and like, you know, kind of imposing like that type of security or other type of security? Just so I can. Yeah. OK. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know if uh, I don't know if how uh, imposing I was you know, necessarily. <laughs> but that but was the goal. Yeah, it was like, yeah, I was just doing that. I, when we moved back to Fort Worth, I was working at a restaurant and uh, I got this job and I was like, oh, this is going to be great, you know, and you know, we'll have uh, benefits or whatever. And it just, you know, sucked the soul out of me. It was, um, you know, whatever, but it got us to, to where we are. And so I was, as soon as I'd get off work on Friday, I'd basically start cooking and then we'd have the party Saturday night. 
And um, so, you know, sometimes it was like, you know, 36 hours without sleep or whatever, just to, to try to do this. But it was always, you know, just an absolute blast and so much fun. And so the, the bacon burn-ins that we're kind of, you know, known Famous, for yeah. um, our, our potato salad, even, I mean, a ton of our recipes uh, started at the meat clubs and it was kind of just this thing of like, well, let's try this out and, you know, see if it's any good. And, um, you know, it turned into a lot of the stuff on our recipes, a lot of my wife's recipes with the potato salad, pinto beans, that type of stuff. So pretty crazy. Well, Travis, I think when you, in, in, in understanding your story, you know, some people, and, and not that there's anything wrong with this, but some people come from a, a family that's got all sorts of financial resources and it, it maybe makes it a lot easier to take a risk because if it mm-hmm. fails, uh, you know, mom and dad or whomever, they're in a position to support you. And, and, and that's great. You know, I think we'd all, uh, you know, I, I don't have kids, but one day I, I'd certainly love to, uh, you know, maybe certainly not spoil my kids, but, but, you know, give them maybe a freedom to go and try something. But I know that that's not mm-hmm. a part of your story, that, that your risks were, were that they yeah. were risks. Uh, what were some of the, I guess the, those moments where you're like, holy smokes, I'm, I'm kind of jumping off a cliff here. And, and I hope that, you know, I land cleanly. What, what were some of those risks that you think were essential, uh, scary, but essential for you to get to where you are? Yeah. Um, you know, we, we always with my wife and I, um, we're really blessed with, with great parents who have a hundred percent supported us and, you know, along the way. And it's, um, it's been huge, you know, with everything, but, you know, not, not necessarily in a, in a financial way. And so like I, I get asked to do like, you know, tell me, you know, business class at TCU or whatever. And it's like, the you know the the key to opening a restaurant is is to have a really rich relative. <laughs> like I think that's probably <laughs> the best best way to go about it because that's the opposite sort of of uh, of what we did. And so you know when we when we started out, it was we were doing these meat clubs, and I was working this job, and I had met some some guys just through the barbecue world. John Lewis, who was at Franklin Barbecue, then La Barbecue, and um, Aaron Franklin, a bunch of these other guys. And I got to cook with them and, and different stuff. And so like we were spending all of our money on rental cars to drive to Austin and Houston on the weekends to do stuff and just, you know, really, uh, you know, in hindsight, it was, it was smart and I'm glad that we did it, but just kind of, you know, crazy. And then, um, I got laid off from my job after uh, our, our, this one project was over. And so it was like sort of this thing of like, okay, I'm, I'm sure my wife is completely annoyed with all I talk about is barbecue, wanting to open a barbecue place, like all of this. And uh, so she was like, you know, really encouraging of like, well, let's just, you know, figure it out. And so I, uh, you know, went to Austin and cooked a little bit. And then we were like, we don't really want to, to move to Austin necessarily away from family and everything. And we found, uh, I was looking for a propane tank on Craigslist to, to buy so that I could weld it into a new smoker. So our meat clubs were getting so popular. We needed, uh, you know, more smoker space. And then I found a food truck for lease at a bar, a 
dive bar in uh, Southside Fort Worth. And so I messaged the guy because I was like, this is too good to be true. You know, it's just exactly sort of what I was looking for and met with them. And, you know, he was interested in having a barbecue thing there. And so my, um, my in-laws bought a smoke or bought a uh, trailer for us to put our smoker on. <laughs> and so we literally uh, pulled our trailer and a smoker up to the food truck. And I think the deposit was like, you know, $1,300 or something like, you know, not a big deal. And that was literally all of the money we had, <laughs> like all of our savings, everything we had, we spent on the deposit and then whatever was left over, we had uh, paid uh, for meat for the first day. And I think I cooked two briskets and some other stuff the first day. And uh, when we opened the doors, we we literally had a hundred dollars to our name. And it was one of these things where, you know, I remember my wife was working in oil and gas and we had signed the lease and I was getting cold feet and I called her. She was in uh, Midland and uh, I was like, this is a terrible idea. <laughs> like if, if this doesn't work out, we're going to have to like go live with your parents. And, you know, this is just everything that, uh, that, that could go wrong, you know, type of deal. And just, you know, you have those doubts and stuff. And, and she was like, let's do it. You know, it's, it's your dream, you know, let's follow it and, and really super encouraging. And, and there's still people to this day that I, you know, came that first day we were open and I was like, if you guys hadn't showed up, we probably wouldn't be open right now. <laughs> like it was one of those things. <laughs> like, our, our, um, margin was so thin, you know, and, and that's sort of how we started was just, okay, now we got a little money and so we can cook a little bit more and then added another smoker and, and built from there. But I, I tell people from a business perspective, this is the absolute worst way to start a business. <laughs> like we are very lucky, blessed, whatever you want to call it to, um, to be where we're at. And, um, it's definitely a lot smarter to have more than a hundred dollars startup cash when you, <laughs> when you open a restaurant, but it's not as good of a story. Yeah. I guess. <laughs> hey, Travis. So I'm curious, you know, you, you talked about the, the burnt ends and, and you got the Heimburger and, and, you know, you can always have a menu that replicates every other restaurant that, that fits maybe your genre, but how do you approach the opportunity to find creativity and to separate yourself? Uh, because I do think while there are a lot of great restaurants that, that maybe their menu blends in and it's just the food that, that stands out, I think with Heim, you you guys, the, the food is obviously exceptional. You don't survive if it isn't. But then you also have the, those things that are true to you. Uh, and, and I'm just curious yeah. how you go about that creativity process. Yeah. Um, well, first of all, thanks. Um, you know, I, I think part of it, um, you know, when you look at the history of Texas barbecue, I guess, in general, you know, I, I think of places like Louis Miller and Taylor, um, Kreitz Market, you know, all these places that have been around a hundred years, you know, if not more. And, um, you know, they're, they're great and, you know, what they are. And a, a lot of those, you know, you're, you're tied almost to tradition. And so it's like, this is the way we do it. This is the way we've always done it. And that's kind of the end of the, end of the story. And 
I think for us, you know, it's kind of a blessing, like not coming from a family of barbecue or whatever and, and, and being able to look at it and, you know, um, look at guys like Aaron Franklin who are like, you know, I'm going to do my best version of, of this thing, whether it's brisket or pork ribs or sausage or whatever. But, you know, we can be creative with our technique and how we do things. We can be creative with the ingredients and the meats that we source and, and really kind of, you know, approach it from, from all angles from that. And so for us, you know, it was like, this is just, you know, what we do. Like, I want to have the best brisket. I want to have, you know, the best coleslaw. If we put it on the menu, I want it to be the best version of of that thing that we can make. Otherwise, you know, it's not going to go on the menu. So things like, you know, the bacon burn ends, that was something where, it was really just this thing of like, you know, uh, burn-ins are famous in Kansas city. And so like what they'll do is uh, take a brisket and you have the lean in the fatty end, kind of like halfway through, they'll cut the fatty end off and then cube it, put some more sauce on it, you know, rub, whatever, um, throw it back in the smoker. And so it's kind of these little like, you know, chunks of, of brisket, you know, sweet and fatty and smoky. Um, and they're really good, but, you know, you do that in Texas and they'll throw you out of the state, you know what I mean? It's like, it's, uh, you know, you don't do that to a brisket. So it was sort of my idea of like, well, what if we did that kind of burn in, you know, deal, but we did it with a slab of smoked bacon. And so took that and kind of ran with it. And, you know, that was, now it's a huge thing. And then even, Somebody sent me a thing the other day that Kreitz uh, Market in, in uh, Lockhart is doing bacon burn-ins, pork belly burn-ins. Um, so now you even have those places that are the sort of old-school, traditional kind of doing approach, you know, new stuff. And um, like with our burger and, you know, our potato skins, all of this kind of stuff was like a lot of it comes from, you know, we want to have as little waste as possible. And so, like, with our baked potato salad that we do that, uh, you know, is awesome, my wife's recipe, um, we were peeling potatoes. And I walked in the kitchen one day, and there was two trash bags, like, huge trash bags full of potato skins from peeling the potatoes. I was like, there's got to be something we can do with this. <laughs> like, we're just throwing this away. And so that sparked the idea of, like, okay, well, we'll just fry them and turn them into chips, basically, and then put our mac and cheese sauce over it, throw some chopped brisket, pico, all this stuff on it. And then that's like our number one selling, you know, appetizer thing. It's just, just pile of potato skins with cheese and everything on it. So, you know, trying to be creative from, you know, the standpoint of like, is this something that people are going to like? Is this something that, you know, can help us, you know, in, instead of throwing it away or something like that. But, but two, at the end of the day, I'm, I'm very particular about, like with our burger, you know, I think we tested it for about six months before we put it on the menu. And I'm, I'm annoying all of our managers and everybody like in the company, but it's like, you guys don't understand, like this has got to be, you know, perfect, as good as we can do it. And, and um, you know, then you can, can go from there. But yeah, I don't know if that answered the question. No, Absolutely. I, I'm curious, you know, you've mentioned other other pitmasters, and uh, I don't know. I, I, I'm definitely speaking out of turn and making this uh, 
this observation because, you know, I, I, I don't live in this world, but it seems like in general, there's a lot of camaraderie within the food community, the culinary community, uh, chef to chef. And I'm sure there are some chefs who don't like others and, and rivalries and that stuff, but, and maybe I'm wrong here, but it definitely seems like that camaraderie and that bond is a little tighter, uh, in your specific, uh, part of, of that food equation, uh, the, the relationships that are shared and the appreciation that is shared. It's, it's almost like uh, different breweries. I always see breweries supporting breweries, you know, even though you mm-hmm. think, Oh, they can, com- they compete, but I also see uh, barbecue joints support barbecue joints and, and pit masters mm-hmm. support pit masters. I, I, I don't know. Am I off on that? And, and what's that relationship kind of like? No, I mean, I, I think it's huge. And, you know, I think uh, especially, you know, for guys like me, like we were really, from a timing standpoint, you know, really kind of at the start of the curve with all this craft barbecue and stuff. And so, you know, I, I hope people like myself and stuff, you know, I have a a ton of reverence for those guys that, you know, like uh, Wayne Miller and, and Taylor and Matt Louie Miller and, you know, these other guys, uh, Tootsie, you know, who's like 90 years old at, uh, at Snow's barbecue, all these people that, have been doing it forever and, and really, you know, um, obviously I bring up Aaron Franklin a lot, but he was a, a huge influence on, on me. And, um, you know, just seeing like, okay, we can do it. Like those guys are, are bringing a level of just, you know, dedication and everything to this craft of, of what they do. And, and you have to have a ton of respect for that. And so I think too, you know, now, you know, it's like in Fort Worth, there's a new barbecue place opening every day. It seems like it's like, you know, just, uh, this, this craziness, but I think you see where, you know, you're like, Oh man, I remember when we were going through that, or, you know, I, I remember, uh, you know, being in, in the food truck days or, you know, other friends that have multiple restaurants like us and stuff. And so there's a, a great deal of, of empathy. And like you said, camaraderie of like, you know, we're all, we're all in it together. And then especially now, you know, 2020 with COVID and everything going on, it's like, you're just trying to survive, you know, and we're like talking with, you know, friends in Houston that have a place that's just really been, you know, um, you know, struggling and, and everybody's struggling. But, you know, I think when you see people that are doing things the right way, you just naturally, you're like, you know, I want to, I want to root for them, you know, whether they're, in Austin or down the street from us, you know, it's just, uh, you know, there is a, uh, there is something to that for sure. All right. A few quick hitters, Travis, and we'll let you go. Uh, the casual barbecuer, uh, what, what advice do you have to just your, your average Joe or Jill who wants to take a shot on a Saturday or Sunday and cook something up for friends or fam? Great question. Um, I get this a lot. I think, you know, that, I think the key to great barbecue, no matter what, is is having a really good uh, fire. And so, like, your fire management. So, you know, how much smoke you're getting on the meat, how much oxygen you're getting to the fire, making sure that you're burning a really hot, clean fire um, for anything is, is going to be key because you've had barbecue before where it's over-smoked and you're, like, kind of burping it, you know, for hours. It's like there's so many things that can go wrong just based off of that. And you don't want to just throw a bunch of logs on a fire and kind of walk away from it. And so 
I'd say that's that's key. And you know, with these Traeger grills and a bunch of this this new stuff, you know, you can kind of better manage that aspect of it. And then I would say that, that probably you know one A one B would be uh, just making sure you like make a schedule. <laughs> you know, it's it's a very simple thing, but if you're cooking a brisket and you're having a party and you know you and your significant other hosting people or whatever the last thing you want to do is have them wait you know three hours because your brisket's not done cooking or something like that so you know I was always just very neurotic of like taking notes every time I cooked and like okay what's the weather like what's the temperature like how long did this take what it you know rub did I put on all this stuff and um, you know if you go from there then I think that's where you you get better a lot quicker and and keeping all that that wasn't a quick answer you're no that's no that's that (laughs) listen i think that that might be to some people the most important answer uh you know throughout that conversation is is we got all these amateur barbecuers trying to trying to uh cook up some some five-star meals where's the craziest place you've gone specifically to have some barbecue the craziest place I've gone the most out um, there, or, you know, whatever, just most, most, uh, out of the, off the beaten path, man. So that's a good question. We, um, you know, especially like in college, this was before, like even like, you know, Yelp or whatever, but we would try to search out these, uh, these little barbecue shacks and, and, and Tyler, you know, East Texas, there's one like everywhere. And so, there's a, a place and I forget the name of it, but it's, it was like on the way to the beer store, <laughs> you know, Tyler's a dry, was a dry County. So there's like this little shack and it was like in front of a guy's house and uh, on the way to the beer store. And uh, we, we stopped in for ribs and it was terrible, but it was just such a cool little you know thing of like this guy, I guess one day was like, I'll just put a shed in the front yard and, and you know, and start cooking barbecue. <laughs> All right. And then last question, what is your favorite non-barbecue meal? And I, I'm sure that it's it's like a lot Ooh. of things, you know, people probably think you have barbecue morning, uh, you know, breakfast, lunch, and dinner. I, I'm sure that's not the case. What's your favorite non-barbecue meal? Ooh, yeah, that, uh, that's kind of a misnomer, too, of, like, people just assume you eat barbecue every day. <laughs> it's like... I, I I couldn't do that. I would be like 500 pounds if, if I did that. And, uh, I think I'd probably have to say uh, like Tex-Mex, you know, growing up in Fort Worth, we have a million just awesome uh, Tex-Mex kind of Mexican restaurants. And, um, you know, I could eat, you know, I could eat that once a week, if not more. So that's, that's probably my, my go-to. Well, there you go. Episode 69 of the Just a Set Conversation with Travis Heim. Really had a nice chat with Travis. I uh, hope you enjoyed it. Uh, as always, a special thanks to Zach Rowe for producing. Uh, thanks to all of you for tuning in. We've got more coming up uh, here on the channel later on this week. Uh, so be sure to be on the lookout, as always. I'd appreciate if you would subscribe, like, comment, or just share the link uh, with someone who you think might enjoy this conversation. Uh, Until next time, stay safe, be healthy. Talk to you later.